called the money margin. And the word margin is defined in, in a couple different ways, uh, the word margin. Obviously, when you're talking about paper, the margin is that white space surrounding you know, the text. And whenever you're talking about money or time, margin is the amount allowed or available beyond what is really necessary. Okay? And typically, when we talk about, when we think about margin, if we have margin in our, uh, in our money or with our money, then it means we've got a little bit left over. We've got more to work with. <clears throat> There's more money than months, right? That's what money margin would be, would, would be like. And so having that margin. We're going to look at this over the next three weeks because most Americans live without any room for margin financially in their lives. And so in this series, we're going to be looking at three things. One, we're going to look at what the Bible says. We're looking at all of what the Scripture has to say about to get out of debt, once you're out of debt, how to stay out of debt, and then how to plan or build a uh, <clears throat> build towards your future. Looking at some of the scripture uh, principles throughout the Old and New Testament. And so um, I'm really glad you're here. I, as I've been studying on this topic for the past really three months, I've been just watching the economy and seeing all that's going on. I've really been sensing also just. Um, the need to address this as a church as well, just because as a church, we're certainly affected by the economy. Um, and so what I'm saying this morning really um, ha- has uh, come from a great deal of study on this topic and just time um, even talking to folks in, in our church, attenders here. So, so we're going to walk through this um, outline and pull this out if you'd like. And there's chairs, there's pens up on the chairs in front of you. In the Bible, we find out first that Debt is a strategy. What I mean by that is it's a strategy working towards a certain goal. About three-quarters, about 75% of Americans' future income is already committed. So that means housing, educational loans, consumer credit. About three-quarters of what is going to be coming in is already going out. It's already committed elsewhere. And as our level of debt increases... There's just less wiggle room in our lives, wouldn't you agree? And what that does is it adds a tremendous amount of pressure, hence the song Under Pressure that we were listening to. We just feel this squeeze on our life when we're, when we're out of money. We have no margin. Isn't that true? But the scripture says that is a strategy. It's, it's morally neutral. Okay? It's morally neutral. You may have heard that all debt is a sin. Okay? There's a lot. That every debt, anytime you take out debt, any debt, is, is wrong. It's a sin. But according to the Scripture, if you look at all of what the Scripture has to say, it's, it's really, you know, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, if you take all the passages and you kind of put them all side by side and you study them in their original context and lay them aside alongside each other, what you find is that there are times when the Scripture um, talks about debt um, in not in not a negative tone, but there certainly are some times when there is this real negative tone towards it. it there's times when it is foolish, and so we're going to be looking at just what the scripture says about this whole area of debt. It's not a simple um, topic to deal with. It certainly has details. God has a lot to say about this area. Uh, Jesus talked about how to relate to our enemies in Luke chapter six, and so I want to start there in Luke chapter six. There's this passage in verse. Uh, Luke 6:27 through 36, where he's just talking about an overall 
relationship approach towards our enemies and how we're to love them and bless them, even if they mistreat you, if they strike us on one cheek. We're to treat them in a way that God would want them to be treated. We're to show them mercy in the way that God would want them to be shown mercy. But we come to this verse in Luke chapter 6, 35, and it says, Jesus said this, he said, But love your enemies, it says do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. There's just this powerful picture here. that God is saying, you know, I'm merciful to, to everyone. When you mimic my mercy, you, you know, you're reflecting your Heavenly Father. He's saying you're, you're acting like the one, the Most High God who, who does this. Who, who, even when people, you know, disregard Him, don't take Him seriously, He still loves them. And so he's saying, towards our enemies, when we lend, even to our enemies, we're to do that in a way not expected in return. And it's really interesting. If debt were a sin, then what Jesus is saying is, go ahead and um, lend to your enemies, and um, you're basically you know, lending, essentially you're helping other people sin, if, if debt, all debt were a sin. Why would Jesus encourage people to lend it all if, if this were a sin? It's, it's really, it's morally neutral. It is a strategy, however, that we need to really understand. So, since it is a strategy, we need to use debt wisely. And that's one of the guiding principles you'll find throughout the Bible on this topic, is you need to be wise in your stewardship of financial resources. It's not just a strategy to just jump into for the sake of it. Sometimes we don't use very good sense about this topic, and so we just dive right into every financial credit opportunity that is made available to us. I mean, how often are you shopping, you're purchasing something, even at places where you wouldn't expect this, and you're like, man, I just I don't know if I could afford it. And then they, they pull out the 90 days, same as cash. Or the one, you know, the half year, same as cash. Or the, you know, all year, 12 months, same as cash. And you're like, oh, I hadn't even considered that. Of course I can afford it now. And then we upgrade our purchase. And, you know, I've been there. I understand that, that pressure that that puts on us. But we need to use it wisely. It's easy to assume that, you know, if God doesn't want me to get into debt, if he doesn't want me to, you know, do this, then he'll stop this credit approval. I'm going to fill out the paperwork. He's going to keep my credit line at like $25. And so as long as it's not, you know, we'll see what God says. And then, you know, and then the the credit man comes back and he says, you know, $15,000. You're like, wow, God, thank you. You're, You're into this. And so, you know, we... But one man, he said this, an author who writes this topic of stewardship, he said, the lender's approval of a loan doesn't show God's approval of my decision to go into debt any more than winning the lottery would demonstrate that God approves of gambling or stealing $10,000 and getting away with it would indicate that he approves of stealing. You know, we can't just assume that because God allows us to do things, it must be okay with him. So we need to use wisdom in this whole area of, of, of debt. Because in the Bible, what you find out is that debt has risks and, and problems. There's some risks and some problems. One major problem is this. It's that when you get into debt, now you must serve others. That's the first problem. This, you find this in Proverbs 22. Proverbs has one of, is probably the book that has uh, the most in it to say about this topic of, of stewardship and giving. So you're looking a lot in Proverbs over the next few weeks, but... You must serve others whenever we're in debt. Look at what this says, Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, 
and the borrower, borrower is servant to the lender. That word servant there, the Hebrew is ebed. It means servant or slave. And this is a very common noun used in the Old Testament. This is used over 750 times, this, this term of servant or slave. And it's not the time, some, some forms of servitude are voluntary. You'll put yourself under someone. Um, this is not that. This word indicates that you have lost all rights, all privileges. You, you are under control of the master now. If you, if you can get your mind around that. You've lost the ability to persuade them. And so the servant, you know, or we're slave to the lender in a sense. You know, you're subject to the will of our lenders. To those that we have borrowed from, you know, we don't get to set interest rates. We don't get to set payment deadlines. We don't get to set minimum payment amounts. You know, if they say, you know, we want you to pay 125, you can't call them and say, how about a buck 25 each? You know, we're not able to negotiate a lot of times. There's, there's consequences, isn't there? Because in debt, you know, we find that we must serve others. Um, in order to start this church, we raised about $35,000 from different sources to be able to buy equipment, some of the different things we've got for our kids' ministry, sound equipment, the refreshment stuff. And, but we also found that we just didn't have enough. And so as we were seeking advice from those who have started churches, mentors of mine, they gave us advice about, okay, you know, you can borrow some money, but be careful how much you borrow because you're going to have to pay all that back. Certainly because it's a church, they're not going to just say, oh, well, you're doing good things, and so we forgive you this debt. Certainly, as we have, you know, borrowed some money, that means that we're also, you know, a servant to the lender. Now, lenders don't tell me what to preach on Sundays. They don't call me up and try to dictate what we do as a church. But as long as we're in debt to them, they, they can dictate some things in our life. So this, this really requires that we make intelligent decisions about what we borrow. There's another problem, though, and in, in, it's in the same chapter in verse 27. You find out that because there's risks and problems, you might lose greatly through debt. You might lose greatly. Look at verse 27. It says, verse 26 and 27, really talking about co-signing alone. That's what this is talking about. It says, do not be a man who strikes hands in a pledge. This is a picture of you're shaking on it. I'm good for it, in a sense. You know, I'll, I'll take care of this. I'm good for it. Let's shake on it. He says, do not be a man who strikes hands in pledge or put up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. So, you know, there's different people in entertainment, just different people. And certainly, you know, we as a, as a society, as, a, as, a, as an area in Southern California have seen this. And in our church, we, we, we experience what this means. You know, the repo man comes knocking because, you know, they're able to do that. We might lose greatly when we find ourselves in a situation. So it's critical, once again, to use debt wisely. There's different kinds of debt. The scripture lays out, again, there's, there's four <clears throat> different types of debt. The first one is this. There's prudent debt. Prudent debt is when you borrow to make money. If, if we have any business owners, people who've started up businesses, um, you know, most businesses, they borrow funds in order to start up, in order to survive. And at times when you need to advance, you, you do at times have to, you know, to take some funds out to make that happen. Um, there is some prudent debt the scripture talks about. But again, you just can't assume that all of these things mean I've got the green light from God. So you have to, again, use these things wisely. Some examples of prudent debt mortgage on a house you know this 
this may not always be prudent to, to, to buy a house. Uh, but depending on your finances, you know, you might find that you're better off renting. But there might come a time where you've, you know, you've got a steady flow of income and you're able to leverage the housing situation and to get into a house to borrow some money. Um, but as we've seen with just the housing economy and the market, you have to be able to ride the, the storms of just the economy, you know. And, you know, back when, you know, house prices were so high and everybody could borrow all their equity to get through the, the tough spots, well, now that's not available. And so we find ourselves, again, just being under pressure. So be careful in that area. But that, that you know, that's prudent debt. Again, borrowing to produce an income, if you're, if you're starting up a business, um, startup lines of credit, capital, you know, sometimes those are good decisions, but it's important to weigh those decisions, to check with people, especially who've been in business, people who've done that before, just to get advice, talk it over, pray about it with some people. Make sure it's the prudent choice. Make sure it's the right time to do something like that. Possibly educational loans. I say possibly, be, and this is a topic that people um, are divided on in the Christian community. Some people don't think it's a good idea, but I think one thing to keep in mind is it depends on what your education is worth. If you're paying $150,000, you're taking out $150,000 in student loans to get a $25,000 a year job, that's not a good, you know, that's not a good idea. That just, do the math, it doesn't really add up in a sense. And so, again, this is something that you have to be prudent on. We have to use wisdom. There's also questionable debt. Okay, there's this whole area of questionable debt. When we borrow for depreciating items, these are items that lose value over time, like cars, clothes, TVs, computers. You know, there are certain questions we have to ask. You know, the big question is this. Should I buy this now or should I wait and buy it over time? Should I save the money and just buy this over time? Um, if you're starting up a business, um, then it may take a long time to save up that kind of money to start a business. So those are the times when you need to decide... You know, I may need to take this opportunity considering all the risks. I've got a good business plan. You know, this seems like a prudent decision. But other times we need to hold back, I think, in this area and save. Depends on the circumstance. A lot of what I'm saying, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's somewhat subjective to your, to your life, to, to your place in life. To, there's a lot of different factors that, that we have to look at here. But buying clothes on credit, again, if you're in the line of work where you need to dress sharp and it, you, know, you need to you know, really present yourself in a certain way, then, um, again, this is the question we have to ask. Should I buy this right now or should I wait? Should I save the money? Can I buy just a little bit now, save up a little bit? Oftentimes we think, I'm just going to buy it all now and I'll pay for it all later. And everyone makes it so easy to do that. Even you know, eBay, I just love how upfront they are about it. Buy it now and you don't even have to think about it. You know, and it's, they make it so easy. You've already entered all your credit card information from the past. All you gotta do is hit that little button, you know, and how many times have you done that and you're just like, you know, five minutes later, after the, the rush of desire has passed, you're thinking, oh man, I just made a real mistake. But so ask the right question. Should I buy this now or wait? Another category of debt is foolish debt. The scripture has a lot to say about this. And there's a lot of foolish Debt opportunities available. Um, impulse buying. You just sort of get into a situation and you just can't wait. So you just do it without, without any thought. Sometimes it's better to just go home, to sleep on it, and, and let that impulse situation pass. Um, consumer lust is just this 
I've got to have it. I have got to have it. This, this desire has overtaken me. And we, in this room, all have different types of consumer lust. Um, for some of us, it's cars, sports equipment, electronics, toys, vacations. Um, for me, um, I would have to be honest and say it's, it's probably the vacation thing. So, um, you know, hi, I'm Josh. It's been nine years since my last timeshare purchase. <laughs> but um, you may already know this. We have not one, folks, but two timeshares because I got into this whole area of consumer lust. And, you know, the vacation was right before me. First time I was on my honeymoon. And I'm thinking, how better to impress my brand new bride than to get us in debt right now and <laughs> and have a lifetime of vacations to reflect on it. And um, and then one year later on our one year anniversary, we made the same mistake. And each time, going in, thinking, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. We're going for the free gift. We're not going to do this. Here, have all my money. I mean, it, it's, it's a strange thing that happens. Um, now, here's the thing. Not that timeshares are bad, but they were out of place for us at that point in our life. They were just out of place. Some people are able to, they, they vacation a lot. They want to spend the money. They've got the resources to do it. That, that's possibly, you know, a great decision for your family. If you, if, if you think... You know, that's a high value, then that makes a lot of sense. For us, though, at the time, bad idea. It really put us behind. And then, you know, it put us behind again, you know, a year later. And, and how long did it take? You know, it took like three straight years of paying extra payments and, you know, towards this thing. What that did was it delayed a lot of other good things, I think, in our life. Because it, it, it took away the margin. There was three years of opportunities missed in other areas that we just have the resources for because we were pinched down on that area but you know you're in those types of moments when the salesman says if you walk out of here you will never see this deal again that's when you're in that moment and that's usually the best time to say bye you know and and run before the consumer lust drags you in but god really wants us to take time to pray through these decisions we decided okay no more timeshare purchases you know but Proverbs 27.20 talks about this desire. It says this. It says, Death and destruction are never satisfied. Literally, that means full. Death and destruction are never full. Never get to the point where, where it's full. And neither are the eyes of man. Our eyes will never be satisfied. We'll never feel like, okay, I've finally got enough and I can't have anything else. Our eyes always want more. Isn't that true? We just, we're never satisfied when will you finally have a TV that's adequate? The next one, right? <laughs> when will your computer be fast enough? Next time. You know, when is, you know, it's always next year, next one. The truth about all this stuff is we're just never satisfied. Contentment is a tough, tough pill to swallow, isn't it? You know, and you might think, well, if I had more money, then I could be satisfied. So it's an income problem. And I guarantee that's not the case because this book was written. God used a man, King Solomon, who was known as the wealthiest king. He had everything at his disposal. He had it all. He had all the money available to him, and he wasn't satisfied. He, he kept wanting more. So he gives us this wisdom from his life and saying, look, we've got to get to a point where we're content. Um, another issue related to acquiring foolish debt is pride. Sometimes we, we purchase foolishly on credit because we're concerned about impressing other people. Proverbs 12.9 says, Better to be a nobody 
and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. What's he saying? Is it basically he's, he's saying, you know, you've got a certain amount of money. You can spend it one of two ways. OK, there's there's one person that has the resources, has a servant and the servants working for him. But, you know, he's not trying to impress others. This other person, he's out to impress others. He's out to look good. But in reality, he's he's pretty much broke. You know, he's he's put everything into impressing others. So the, the wisdom here is be careful what you spend your money on. Don't get caught up in spending money to impress out of pride, because pride ends up costing us a great deal more than we think. Um, again, depending on what kind of business you're in, um, some of your purchases may need to reflect your job and different things. And so, you know, this is different for everyone. So the issue isn't so much, am I driving an old Chevy or an old Ford or a new Hummer or a new BMW? The question is, where does this fit into my life? Am I using good sense? Does this really fit into my life? Because God has different people at different points. And they have the resources and the ability to purchase things that, that I, 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 won't just be able, I won't be able to purchase. You know, He has us at different points. So we have to ask ourselves, where does this stuff fit in my life? Because there's so much opportunity for foolish debt. But the scripture says this, there are all sorts of alternatives to debt. There are alternatives. We do not have to just dive or fall into debt. There are alternatives. The first is this. And the main principle is you put God first in your, in your finances and in your life. You put Him first. First place. You make Him the priority in your finances. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Solomon says this. says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Like the best stuff, he's saying. Give Him the best. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your, new, and your vats will be brimming over with new wine. So the first thing we do is we honor Him first. We put Him first in our life. And then there's a result. Barns are full. Vats overflowing. You know, those two things, barns full, vats brimming over, that represented wealth in those days. What the Scripture is saying is the key to seeing your finances and your financial situation grow is to honor God in the way that you use your money. There's, there is a tie to the way we prioritize the area of finances. What percentage of your money belongs to God? A hundred. A hundred percent, he says. But he only asks us to give us to give him back ten percent. But a hundred percent of it, he says, it's all mine. The silver and gold, he declares it's all mine. He says, you know, I own it all. And he has all the resources. But he asks us to give himself he asks us to give him back a percentage. In scripture, in the Old Testament, there's this pattern of giving called the tithe. The tithe actually means tenth, a tenth of our income is, was to go back to God. People of God back in those days actually gave a lot more than just 10%. Um, but that pattern in the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, he affirms in a, in a brief statement talking to the Pharisees, he affirms the tithe. He doesn't eliminate it and he says, you guys, the people of God are now off the hook in this area. He, he, he affirms the tithe. In Matthew chapter 23, but it's it's truly all His. And as we put Him first in our life, then what God does is He He makes situations in our life just go better. Whenever we decide to not honor God in this area, then things start to break down. There's there's real life um, pressure as a result of not honoring God 
with our income and with our resources. If God is coming in last in our lives, then we probably will come in last as well. It's just a matter of time. And, and as you try to straighten out financial situations in your life, you'll want to look at the major issues before the minor issues. And a major issue is this whole area of putting God first in my, in my finances. We can get so deep into debt that putting God first seems impossible because everybody else is asking for their peace. And so when do we do this? I would say still, if you can, God still says to put Him first because He can provide for us in ways that we just can't put together on our own. We oftentimes need His help financially, but it comes as we put Him first. Um, However, I think in this area, this is one area in Scripture where we would like to just, in many ways, we'd like to be able to put a sharpie over all the verses about this area of giving. And, you know, God, I'll trust you with this, 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 but when it comes to my finances, that's why I keep that thing in my pocket. Because even you can't have it, God. And I think we, we assume that the whole area of giving back to God, it's true, but it's not real. You know, there's no real impact in my life. Um, but the Scripture ties our financial situation to where we place God. Over and over you see this come up in the Bible. There's this connection, Malachi chapter 3. And before we look at the passage, think about this. Can you imagine deciding to be unfaithful to your spouse if you're married? Imagine, try to be unfaithful to your spouse and expect no consequences. You know, that just doesn't make sense, does it? Or it's ridiculous. We realize it's just a matter of time. You know, can you imagine stealing from your employer and expecting to keep your job? You know, it's just, that doesn't happen. You know, we don't expect this. So look at this, Malachi 3, 8 through 12. It says, will a man rob God? Hang on, let me get there in my Bible. This is the last book of the Old Testament. And God's people, as a nation, they were seeing the consequences of not putting God first in this area. And so this is what the prophet says to them. He says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. He says, test me in this. Generally, well, in every situation, you don't want to test God, other than this one. This is the only one he gives us permission to test him in. He says, test me in this and see if I won't respond to you putting me first place in your life. If, if you're a new Christian, um, then what I would encourage is that you put God to the test in this area. You see if God does not respond. Now, does God respond always financially? Is there, um, you know what, is there other ways that he responds? Well, I think this comes up in a passage talking about money because I, I, there, there will be a, a financial connection to the, to the place you put God in your life. But, it, you know, it comes over time. Generally, you look at your life and we think a week ahead, God looks at our lives. He looks at our, the span of our lives. And he looks at all areas of our life. You know, we may ignore God in this area and we see the impact over here in our relationships. 
or in, in, our, in our future or in, in other things. But there's a real connection that the Scripture says. But I want to encourage you, if you're a newer Christian, to begin aggressively working towards giving God a tenth. That's what he says. Now, you might not be able to get there. You might feel like, I, I could start at five and I'll trust him with that much. I would encourage you to trust him, to pick a percentage and ask him to grow your faith towards 10%. If you can jump to 10%, I think um, that, you know, that's where God wants to get you as a starting point of giving back to him. Now, that, you might be thinking, this guy is crazy. What is he talking about? What did he drink this morning? I, you know, I, I, and believe me, that's how I'm kind of feeling at this point, you know, telling you what to do with your money. I'm, this is God. This is what God's Word has to say about this very, very important topic. If you're, a, if you're not a newer Christian, if you've been walking with God a long time, and you've never really taken this area very seriously, then I want to challenge you to take the test. I want to encourage you to trust God in this area. Um, be careful that you're not treating God like a waiter. Depending on what He serves you up in life, and depending on how He serves you this week, you tip Him. You give God little tips. God's not a waiter, you know. He owns it all. And there's a real connection in our life to what we experience. He withholds blessing from us because of areas like this. Another thing is pray until God provides. Pray until God provides. God wants to bless us, but sometimes He may want to provide for us financially in, in a different way that we had not seen at all. Just, and I've experienced this. I've seen this. You know, there's just... Important times to ask God, God, what do I do in this situation? Should I borrow or should I wait? Should I, God, I, we have this need. Um, we're going to try to make it work. Sometimes we think, I don't want to make it work. I can make it work right now by going and buying what I need on credit. Um, I'd encourage you to pray and ask God to provide and wait and see what he does. In the beginning of this year, my son Gabriel, he, um, we were coming home from Christmas and we drive a 2001 Honda Civic, and we're a small family. There's four of us. We're all short. And so the Honda Civic, for us, it's like an SUV, <laughs> like little hobbits driving down the freeway. But So I've never really recognized the size of my vehicle, but Gabriel, um, you know, he's squished between bags, you know, because... On the way home from Christmas, we got presents and luggage and all this stuff. And seriously, we're just okay. You can't move that far this way, Gabe. You just got to stay in your spots. And so he, he made the comment, Dad, everybody has a bigger car than us. Could we get a bigger car? And, you know, um, let's start praying about this, son. And so we prayed in the car. We prayed and we asked God for, uh, you know, a little bit larger car. Because, you know, we're coming to the point where it's hard to take a lot of stuff. Um, at this point. And so we began to pray. We prayed then, we began to pray. And then about four months later, my mentor, we went out to dinner with he and his wife. He's a pastor. And his, his parents had passed away. And as part of their inheritance, they bought his wife a new car to say thank you for taking care of them for the last five years of their life. And so Randy said, Josh, we want you to have our van. You know, it's not a brand new van, but it's a van. It's a bigger car. And he just gave us this van, free and clear, that, that we can use. It's ours. And you know what? I could have rushed ahead of God and just said, I'm going to solve this situation. But by waiting on God, we, we've seen God provide in that area. 
you know, and, and there's other times where I've just seen, wow, this is truly from the hand of God. And in that situation, I didn't recognize that immediately. It took me a few days. And then Erica said, you haven't even brought it up. We were praying specifically for that. And look what God did. And I was like, oh, my gosh. God did come through. Did he have to? No. He didn't have to come through in that way. It could have been that he just, you know, gave us patience to save us money. It could have been some other. Or he could have just said, hang in there, you know. You'll be okay, you know. Some people don't even have cars. You know, it, sometimes we, we think we need more and we look around the rest of the world and we realize how, how much we've really got. But God had another plan in mind. And God can give us direction either by providing funds or withholding them. God oftentimes, you know, you find in the New Testament especially instructions to pray in all situations. Pray continually. In all situations or in everything, give thanks, as Scripture says. We're to bring everything to Him in prayer. When we're in trouble, when we're happy, when we're sick, the Scripture says bring it all to God in prayer. Over and over, we're told to do that. But in this area, I think sometimes we just forget. We assume God doesn't deal with finances. We deal with finances. He doesn't have credit cards. We've got credit cards. But God, He owns it all. He's able to unleash it all into our lives. Scripture says in 1 Timothy 5.5, 5, look at the direction he gives to widows, to those who, who have no husband, whose husbands have died. He says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Now, in the passage, the widow, her, her family is, is required to take care of her. And for those that don't take care of their family, that's, that's a bad thing, the Scripture says. It's, it's, we're, we're to take care of our aging parents were to take care of you know, people in our lives. But God's saying when no one's taking care of her, she can ask God to come through. She can plead with Him day and night and see what He does. He'll provide. Psalm 107. This whole chapter deals with this area of asking God, crying out to God when we find we're in need and, and how He will answer us. And I love this as I read through this psalm this week and thinking through the connections of, of real-life gaps, where we, areas where we needed margin and God come, came through. But specifically in, in verses 6 and 7, God's people were wandering around in the desert. They were hungry. They were thirsty. And then you get to this verse 6. It says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. What God does oftentimes through our prayers is He doesn't just answer our prayer with... Here, here's, here's the need you had. He leads us in a new direction oftentimes. He, he, he helps us as we're waiting. He shows us and gives us guidance. If you read 107, the entire psalm, as you go home, look at all the connections about praying and crying out to God and seeing how His response is leading you, guiding you, sending you. It's, what it is is when we pray, God helps us know what is my next step. Because oftentimes... That's why we get ourselves into trouble in this area. We decide the next step, but God, He's the one that wants to decide what our next step is. The last alternative, or a couple more alternatives to that, use what you have. In our society, this isn't popular. It's not, um, you know, it's, it's just difficult because of consumer lust to just continue to upscale as we look around to keep up with others. But consider fixing up what you've got. If you're in debt, especially consider using what you have rather than buying something new and borrowing more. Another alternative to debt is just go cheaper. 
That's why sometimes getting a good deal on a, on a, a nice used car is a great way to go because of the value it loses. Now, I'm not against buying a brand new car. If you have the resources to do it, you have the money to buy that car. But to buy it on credit and to lose the money up front, you know, it's again, there's a real question of, did I need to do this right now? And we've been there. I've been there. But we have to ask ourselves those questions. My first truck that I bought, I had a paid off car. I decided, oh, it wasn't good enough. So I went and got myself into debt. I borrowed, you know, $18,000, bought a new truck. I drove it off the lot. A truck kicked up a rock, chipped my windshield that is still there to this day as a reminder that, you know, I'll never be satisfied. Because what happened, I look at the chip and as I'm driving, this isn't a new car anymore. I want to take it back. And of course, they're not going to take my truck back. But once we drive it off the lot, it's used. So, again, just consider using what you have or going cheaper. Now, again, if you've got the resources, I'm not saying, I'm not telling you how to live your life. But you have to ask questions when we're making purchases. Oftentimes, we see, we buy, we see, we buy. And I think we have to stop and rethink that. Last thing is, debt should be repaid. Scripture is very clear about this. Psalm chapter 37 is a comparison of the righteous man and the wicked man. So in this, in this passage, you see descriptions of what the righteous is like. What, what is a man who is righteous? What are their lives like? And what is the, the wicked man like? And so what David says is the Lord speaks through him. And he says, the wicked borrow and do not repay. But the righteous give generously. You know, there are situations when bankruptcy is valid. But if you take on debt overall, you, you need to repay it. According to the scripture, it needs to be repaid. Look at Romans 13.8. Paul's instruction to the church is in relation to submitting to authority overall, just our obligation to leadership over us. But then he talks about debts. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The passage goes on and talks about five of the, or four of the uh, commands from the Ten Commandments, which talk about loving other people and our relationship to other people. And he's saying our outstanding debts, or whenever we owe someone anything, we're now under obligation and we're unable, we're restricted or limited, or we have to prolong giving. We have to prolong loving people because oftentimes loving people costs us money. The only debt that God wants us to carry long term for our lives is the debt of love. He says, this is, this is on you. You, on a daily basis, are to love people. Oftentimes, though, love costs us something. So just consider, how has my debt limited my love? How has my debt restricted my love? God wants us to repay debt. I think aggressively. Whenever we start stacking balance upon balance and debt upon debt, then we're really violating this principle altogether. And we're limited. But this is a strategy. Again, we want to use it wisely. Here's some ways to get out of debt. This is a summary, real quickly, of... There's some books on the back. Um, I, I set those out there for you guys if you'd like to browse through them. Those are all from a Christian perspective, biblical perspective, on stewardship and resources. Um, if you want to write down the titles, you can take them. But here's a summary of, of these books. First, block getting further in. Block getting yourself further in. Seal credit cards in an envelope, in a drawer. Get them out of... If, if you're already in debt and you don't want to get further in, 
it's not a good idea to keep it with you. It's not a good idea to carry it around. Or, I read this somewhere, freeze your credit cards in a block of ice. So it takes you time to really consider the purchase. You've got to let that baby thaw out. Or you get a magnifying glass and try to read the numbers. And, but, you know, so block getting further in. Or use a debit cash or a debit card or use a cash envelope system. Um, that way when the cash is gone or when the money's out of the bank, you have no more money to spend. You know, as, as kids, we grow up putting money in a piggy bank. And we realize when I bought my toys, we don't get to pull out a credit card. You know, we're done. That's all we got until next time we've got more allowance money or whatever. But as adults, for some reason, we, we switch over and we don't, we don't believe that to be the case anymore. Um, keep, you know, keep a limited number of credit cards. I read about a man in 1990 who was a pharmacist making $27,000 a year who owned 800 credit cards. His line of credit for a single month was $9 million for a single month. So, do we, you know, keep, keep fewer credit cards. That's one way to not get yourself out, you know, into debt. Set a budget to live on. When you run out of money, stop spending. Next, lower your cost of living. This just allows you to save and build wealth by investing. I'm not going to read this story in 2 Kings. I'd encourage you to write down 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. There's a passage about a prophet named Elijah who gives advice to, an, to a woman whose husband died, and her husband owed money. The creditors came, and Elijah gave her advice on how to repay her debt. Real important uh, passage there, just talking about the need to repay. Um, and she, but she used her resources. Let's just keep moving through this a little bit. Sell some items, move to less expensive living quarters. These are just some suggestions from those books. Um, you know, we have stuff lying around that we can liquidate and pay off credit cards. Move to less li- expensive quarters. Now, I'm not suggesting this for everyone, but if you're, in a, if you're way in debt and you're living way above your means, this is something to consider. Use the snowball effect. The snowball effect is list your debts from highest interest to lowest and begin to just throw extra money at the higher interest debts. And then once you've eliminated them, roll that over to the next, um, to the next debt. Oftentimes when we pay off credit cards then we think, oh, great, now the, the payment's not there. I've got more money to work with. Now I can spend more and have more fun. But really, we should be aggressively trying to pay, pay our loans back. Just, um, and then just work towards continuing to pay things off. We're going to wrap this up. There's some next steps. <clears throat> you see these on the bottom here. And you might consider memorizing Proverbs 27.20. This is a great verse. This is great, especially when you're out shopping. Death and destruction are never satisfied. Neither are the eyes of man. You know, sometimes God will use memorized verses to help me right in the moment when I need to do something different. Um, decide to put God first in your finances. Maybe you've never decided to do that. I'd encourage you to, to consider working towards giving a tithe. Uh, check out those two websites. Those are by two of the authors from the resource table. Um, here's a really important one. Talk with your spouse. Get on the same page together about this whole area. Um, also, if, if you know some friends that you know, are dealing with this area, I'd encourage you to invite them to come worship with us next week as we look at just, okay, once you're out of debt, how do you stay out of debt? Because I think that's, sometimes it's, it's easy to get out of debt, but it's also just as easy to slide right back in, even worse. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes up. They're going to lead us in two more songs.